do when I'm looking at a book of the scripture, a book of the Bible, is to really ask if, if I could distill the one principle that is being taught in this book down to one word, and sometimes you can't do it, but if you could get it down to one word with the Apostle Paul, what would it be? I think in the book of Galatians, the one word is distracted. And we're going we're gonna to pan all that out, what that means in the book of Galatians, but really, ultimately, Paul is writing to a church that is getting distracted. They're getting, they're getting lost in the business of being the church, and even lost in the business of being doctrinally correct, and even lost in the business of being obedient, trying to do their best to honor God. And that, unfortunately, the Apostle Paul says it's distracting them. Um, and so I want to read the first 10 verses of the book of Galatians, the letter of the Galatians, and then we're going to pray. And then I'm going to, we're going to just start unpacking this book. And this is going to be one of those series that I don't know how long it's going to take um, for us to get through the book. We want to give the, do, do justice to the content of this book. Um, and there's an awful lot in it. Um, so we're going we're gonna to dive into it. We're going to start unpacking it. We're going to talk, talk about some of the context and all those things. And, uh, and then we're, gonna, um, we're just going to move through this, okay? in the summer. So let's begin here. Galatians chapter 1, uh, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the evil present age, or the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be servant of Christ. Enjoy me in a word of prayer. Father, as we turn our attention to a new book, one we haven't looked at before, Lord, we pray that you will open our eyes and our hearts to what your Spirit has for us. Lord, that you would challenge us, that you would confirm in us, that you would do everything in between, that we might be uh, more conformed to the image of Christ. Lord, as we look at these, the written words, um, may we see your living word. And may, in seeing him, we know him better, and knowing him better, know you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul has a, a, a thing about the way that he opens letters. Now, Galatians is a very early letter. Um, Paul probably writes it around 50 A.D., all right, A.D. 50. Um, really, probably at the end of his first missionary journey. He takes three missionary journeys around the Mediterranean. His first one, he basically, he didn't travel very far. He visited a couple of places. He came back. 
And at the end of that journey, there was kind of a, a confrontation um, uh, about what he was doing and what Simon Peter was doing, um, which was reaching people that were not Jewish. And there was a, there was a division in the church over whether somebody had to become a Jew first in order to become a Christian. Um, or if you could skip over the Jewish part and just become a Christian. And there was a huge argument about this. And, and today, because most of Christianity is not Jewish, we don't think that way. But this, this was very much a big issue because for the Jews, God had been working through them for the last, you know, 1,500, 2,000 years or so. So they figured, you know, maybe we shouldn't change things up. Um, and I'm not going to get into the details, but, but Paul is called into a ministry of the Gentiles. The apostle Peter has this, um, has this moment where God in, tells him to, to minister the gospel to the non-Jews, to the Gentiles. And so here are these two speakers, and they're saying we should be going to the Gentiles, we should be preaching to them, we shouldn't be requiring them to become Jewish. And then you have a whole bunch of other people who have converted from uh, the Pharisees and the priesthood and, and all the religious leaders of Judaism. They say, no, 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 you've got to be Jewish first, and then you can be a Christian. So Jew first, then Christian. And there was a controversy, and eventually James, the brother of Jesus, resolves it by saying, look, he says, I, I think that it's not right for us to burden people with them being just like us, and the only thing he requires is that they refrain from fornication and from eating blood, which is a weird thing. Everybody that eats rare steak would have trouble with James, but, um, but his, his point was they have to be ceremonially clean in that, um, and uh, they need to be uh, morally clean. The Galatians are a weird situation. And I need to give you the context of why they're so weird. When you read about um, the civilized world in the ancient world, it is not these guys. The Galatians are Celts. Uh, What happened was in the, the... 4th century, Alexander the Great, who I assume everybody knows who he is. I don't think I need to explain that he was Alexander the Great. Um, Conquered conquered the eastern Mediterranean, died in his 30s, tremendous thing, totally changed the world. Spread Greek culture all over the eastern Mediterranean. When Alexander the Great's uh, kingdom imploded after he died, it was divided up amongst his generals. Now, there were basically four generals. The first thing they did was kill Alexander's son. The second thing they did was start a civil war with each other. Um, so they, they, when, this, when that happened, there were basically uh, the Greek world, the, the Hellenosphere, all right? um, the, the Greek world kind of disintegrated into a bunch of petty chieftains and kings and, and princes arguing and fighting with one another. And Greece kind of disintegrated into kind of this just this mess well, at the same time, there was weather change that was occurring, which was warming up um, northern Europe. Now, that doesn't sound like a big deal. Uh, most people would say, big deal, warm northern Europe. Well, when things are warm and ice sheets retreat and there's more fertile land available and people can farm more and there are more fish in the sea, obviously, the more food you have, the more likely you are to have more kids. 
because there's more food. There's a surplus of food. But the more kids you have, the more people there are. The more people there are, the more food you need. If suddenly the climate gets cold again, what do you do? You, you starve or you move. All right. Well, it got warm. The population of northern, northern Europe, what are the, the Celts, the northwestern Europe, they expanded. Then it started to get cold again. So what do they do? They move. Conveniently, Greece is in chaos, so the Celts go, ooh, and they raid Greece. Now, this is part of history that almost never appears in history books. Nobody talks about this. Um, so here we have the Celts, are you know, think Scotsmen, um, even though the Scottish are descended from Vikings. But anyway, um, the, the Celts... The Celts come down from, from Europe and they hit Greece and they actually get as far down as Delphi, the oracles of Delphi, where they're finally defeated at a battle, believe it or not, a battle called Thermopylae, but not the battle of Thermopylae with the 300, a different battle of Thermopylae. Got that? Um, they get defeated and they split up. Well, now you have a bunch of Celts who like to fight and like to beat on each other and, and they've got nothing better to do but to hang out in Greece. And one of the petty kings in what is today central Turkey, the Anatolian plain, um, sends an emissary. He says, hey, you guys have got nothing better to do. How would you feel about coming over here and securing my border? And the Celts said, sure. All right. And, uh, and so they come across and they get into Asia Minor. And, and as soon as the Greeks see them and go, oi, 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 they send them to this kind of central area, the Anatolian plain, and they leave them there. And they say, you guys secure the border. Celts are sitting there. They've got nothing better to do. So, uh, you know, they start raiding trade caravans and playing Robin Hood. um, And they're terrifying. People despise the Celts that are in the Central Asia. In fact, the the Greeks get together and they fight this massive war and they basically put them in what would would amount to a reservation. They put them in a very small area and they say, you guys get to live here and this is the only place you get to live. So... uh, Celts hate Greeks. They really, really hate Greeks because of what happened to them. So when the Romans come along a century or two later, the Celts see the Romans and they go, great, we want to be on your team. And the Romans are very, very hands-off. They don't care what you do. They don't care who you worship. They don't care what language you speak. And they say, great, you guys, you know what we're going to do? We're going to call you guys... By the only name we have for you guys, we're going to call you Gauls. And that's where the name Galatia comes from. They're Gauls. They're Celts. They're not Greek. They're not Roman. They're not Jewish. They're, not, they're just Celts. Blue faces, heads shaved back to here, crazy people worshiping in groves of trees. That's what they are. Druids and the whole deal. The archaeological record of Galatia shows us that they were doing exactly what they were doing in northern Europe. So the whole, that whole bag, the, the, I mean, the, the sacred trees and the druids and the weird incantations and believing in fairies and worshiping, I mean, that, that, they're doing this. In fact, in the 5th century, Jerome, um, who was a Roman Christian uh, translator of the Bible, said that they were still speaking their Celtic languages. 800 years after they had moved into this part of Asia Minor. And you go, well, that's weird. That can't possibly be true. Really? You know what kind of language Welsh is? It's Celtic. Guess how long they've been speaking that language? 
It's been 2,000 years since the Romans took Britain and the Welsh are still speaking their language. Celtic languages, Celtic people don't like to give stuff up. They like to stick with things. Related language that they're speaking in Galatia. Well, over time, over centuries, they start to kind of incorporate the Romans and then there's this province called Galatia that's formed. Um, And they are the outsiders of the outsiders. They are, they are the ones that they are outside of the civilized world. The civilized world still submits to the Roman emperor, still speaks Greek if they're in the east, Latin if in their, they're in the west. The civilized world participates in trade. The civilized world doesn't raid things. The civilized world doesn't practice human sacrifice. The Celts do all of these things. They are a frightening group of people. Whenever you need mercenaries in the Roman Empire, you call one of two people. You either call the Celts or the Jews, one or the other. And believe it or not, there's actually another Greek king who settled a group of Jews across the river from the Celts, and they stared at each other and fought skirmish wars for 200 years. They just, they, just these two, two weird groups of people in Asia Minor just fighting each other every once in a while because um, they had nothing better to do weird people at some point the apostle Paul arrived in Galatia and when he did he did something no Jew Roman or Greek had ever done he just treated them like they were normal people now we don't have a record of when he visited Gaul. We only have this letter, or Galatia. We only have this letter for context. But we can get an idea of what he preached when he got to Galatia. We get it from here, right at the beginning. And I'm going to break down all these pieces, but Paul an apostle, not from men. Now what is an apostle? In our Christian context, an apostle is, you know, Peter, James, John, Paul, right? The people that Jesus chose. But it may surprise you to know that that word did not pop into existence when the New Testament was written. Every emissary of every petty king and every emperor and every Roman army and every Greek army and every Jewish army that ever showed up in Galatia the emissary would stand up and say, I am so-and-so, the apostle, apostelos, of whoever. And I have come to tell you, this is how your life is going to go. This is what you're going to be. And then the Galatians would cut their head off and send it back. Paul says, I'm an apostle, not from men. I didn't come to you and say, hey, you guys need to listen to me because I've got this story. I've got, I've got authority from men. He says, I'm not from apostle, not through men, nor through men, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul, at some point, showed up in Galatia, probably in southern Galatia. He stood up in the midst of people and he said, I'm going to tell you about somebody raised from the dead. Now, for the Greeks, this was bizarre. I mean, we have an account in Acts when he stands on Mars Hill on Areopagus and he preaches the the resurrection and the Greeks actually ask him if Anastasis, resurrection in, in Greek, if that's the name of a god they don't know. 
They have no concept of being raised from the dead. The Greeks don't care about an afterlife. It's just this moment, this day. That's all that matters for Greeks. They just do their thing. But the Galatians, these Celts, they go, what do you mean raised from the dead? So he makes a point of telling them, raised from the dead. He says, he raised him from the dead. And then he says this, and this is probably the most extraordinary line in all of Galatians. Paul says, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Now you may think that's a throwaway line, but it's not. Because who are Paul's brothers? They are all the Christian leaders that have just gotten together at that council and decided that Gentiles don't need to follow the Jewish law. It is the the Jewish church and the Gentile church. Everybody deciding this is what it means to follow Christ. And he says, all of us are writing to all of you. Why does that matter? Because they're the outsiders. They're not civilized enough for everybody else. They're they're the the outliers, the strangers, the weirdos. Um, We know from archaeological expeditions in Galatia, they were all taller than the average Roman or Greek. They all had uh, different, they had Celtic features. So there were a lot of blondes and redheads as opposed to the dark hair of most Mediterranean people. They were weird. They were odd. They were scary. Celts had a tendency, they actually did this thing, and nobody really knows how they did it, but they did this thing where they would embed glass under their skin so that when the light hit them, they looked blue. Now, if you see it in the movies, they just do tattoos, you know, it's just or paint or whatever. They actually had this thing, and Julius Caesar actually describes it using a word for glass. They seem to have, they seem to have embedded things in their skin to make themselves look blue. They are weird. They want to be Smurfs. These are odd people. The, the, common, the common Celtic style, and I mentioned this, was to shave the front of your hair and let the rest of it hang over your shoulders. And if you were going into war, you dyed it white. So you looked like a scary monster from a science fiction movie. They also did have this thing. People, this is weird, but, but Caesar actually describes them at one point as coming down the snow, the, the snow embankments of the Alps, riding their shields. They were basically, I, I can't even imagine... You're a Roman soldier, you're standing at the base of of the Alps, and there are these freaky-looking, blue-colored, shaved-head, white-haired guys riding riding sleds. (laughs) I'd turn around and run, too. This was their culture. And Paul just treats them, he says, look, you need to know about the one who was raised from the dead. The brothers are writing to you. You're the churches of Galatia. When he makes that statement, he is inviting them into the Christian fellowship. This is not us writing to you, telling you what you need to do, but rather the brethren writing to you, the churches, and inviting you into the riches of the grace of Christ. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. He says, brothers, What's going on? 
I preached the gospel to you and you received it. You recognized who Christ was and now you're listening to other teachers and they're messing with your head. They're changing the story. They're saying that you've got to, and we find out in the rest of the letter they were demanding that the adult males of the church be circumcised. They were demanding that they observe all the ordinances of Torah. Somebody was coming along and saying to them, well, so Paul had a really good idea, but there's more to it than this, than that. He says, you are quickly deserting him who called and called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, but there isn't a different gospel. That's what he says. Now, we, we get it, not that there is another, but there are some who trouble you and want to destroy. He says, look, there's one gospel, and it is the grace of Christ poured out to all mankind the same. Romans and Corinthians, all this, he talks about Jews and Greeks and bond and free and men and women. And he says, it's all the same. There's not more grace for the way you look, the way you sound, the Torah you observe. There's not more grace for the Jew than there is for the Gentile. And there's not more grace for the Gentile than there is for the weirdo. We are all saved by the grace of God. They want to distort the gospel of Christ in verse 8. He says, even if we, we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary. Now he says this, I think... He says this because later on we will find out that Simon Peter, who was at the council that Paul was at, who was a part of the argument that Gentiles didn't have to become Jewish, had caved a little bit at one point and backed away from that and said, well, you've got to be a little Jewish. Just a little bit. And Paul had actually, he says, I withstood him to the face. He says, I got in his face and I yelled at him for being stupid. And Paul, Peter was used to being yelled at for being stupid, so he immediately realized he was doing something wrong. He says, So now I say again, if anyone is preaching, not, verse 9, to you a gospel contrary to the one you have received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man? He says, Remember, I didn't come to you representing a man. I came to you representing God. I came to you representing Christ. And do you really think that I'm going to change that just because some loser pseudo-apostle showed up and told you a different gospel? That I'm just going to let them walk all over Jesus' truth and grace? You, my friends, are very mistaken. Make no mistake about it. Paul is laying down the law here. It's couched all nice and simple in our English translations. But he is making it very clear that what has been preached to them is nothing but a lie. Later on, he will call it witchcraft, which is a thing that Celts would know all about. If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now what's really interesting about this, and this is a side note, Paul almost always introduces himself in the Gospels as Paul, an apostle, and a servant. He almost always says it right at the beginning. Here he has to explain what it means to be a servant. For him to be an apostle of Jesus and God the Father who raised him from the dead, for him to be a servant requires that what he preaches be only the grace of Christ. 
So I want to lay the foundation very quickly with, with this, coming out of this. Where did the distractions come from that distracted the Galatians? And I think if we lay this down, we'll make, it'll, it'll make things a little bit easier as we read the book, all right, as we study the book. Number one, they misunderstood, I think, they misunderstood what Paul was preaching. That's why Paul clarifies it the way he does. He says, they, they, they rewrote, more or less, what he had preached in their own minds. Now, we know that no one ever, ever, ever hears you say something and turns it into something you didn't say. That never happens in human experience. I will never forget the one time I was preaching very early in my ministry, and I mentioned something. I don't remember exactly what I said, but I said something about if I were to ever stop preaching or something like that. And by the end of the service, one of the ladies in our church was convinced that I had resigned. And she came up to me after the service. She said, don't leave, Pastor. And I really literally had no idea what she was talking about. I was like, I have to go eat lunch. We're next to a pizza shop. I get hungry when we preach. She said, no, 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 about resigning. And I literally sat there, had no idea. So you know how people, you know how your kids do this? Kids, you know how mom and dad do this to you? You know, um, you know, we all know, I mean, we get, we get given a job to do and then we do the job the way we thought we heard it and then we come back and, and the, our boss had told us to do something completely different but somehow it had been translated. We, you know how that happens in human memory, the telephone game. Um, well, Paul, their, their number one point of distraction was they, had, they were mishearing or misthinking or misconstruing or misinterpreting what Jesus had taught or what Paul had taught. Somehow along the line, they got the idea that, that Paul was just laying the foundation and then there were going to be other preachers that were going to come and those other preachers were actually abusing them, which is the second source of their distraction. The second source of their distraction was influential, persuasive other teachers. Elsewhere, the Apostle Paul will call them pseudo-apostles. Now, that sounds really technical. It just means liars. That's all pseudo means. It means liar. Um, the Greek word, the Greek word uh, he also calls them hypocrites, which is the, Jewish, the, the, Hebrew, the Greek word that is applied to actors. All right? Somebody who pretends to be somebody that they are not. By the way, here, leave that sermon right there. I'm just going to come over here. Can I just remind everybody this, okay? Because this is a modern culture thing. This applies. It has nothing to do with the sermon, but it's important. Never take worldview advice from somebody who lies for a living. Why are actors so influential in our society? They literally lie for a living. All right? Okay, back into the sermon. So, um, the distraction comes from these influential, persuasive other preachers other speakers oh yeah that's what paul said but eh, let's nuance that a little bit oh well you're so other that you have to come to the law before you can even be considered civilized and the galatians are so motivated to follow jesus that they're like well if that's what needs to be done because the third the third piece of their distraction is their own history and worldview they've been so separate from everybody else for so long that when they get invited into being themselves as a part of this Jesus thing, they get so excited about it that they go to extremes. 
They stop testing the people that are coming through them. For centuries, people have been coming and saying, I'm the apostle of so-and-so. Whack! Lob the head off. Now they finally accept something. Like, okay, we're open in this thing. Let's roll with this thing. And we're going to find out later on that there were a lot of things about their culture, their Celtic culture, that Paul actually weaves into this and says, why on earth would you follow this, this Judah, Jewish idea when you already have Christ revealed in this? It's contrary. That's an extraordinary thing that he does. It, this is one of Paul's masterful polemic letters. Polemic means when you take something that's pagan and you turn it so that it's actually facing Christ. And he's going to do these extraordinary polemic things. Like the, the line, and I'm just going to give you a little preface. Um, you want to go grab the kids? Where's Greg? Um, uh, he, he's got a line in Galatians where he says, cursed is one who's, who's hung on a tree. You guys familiar with this? He quotes, he quotes the law. He says, cursed is one who's hung on a tree. Anybody know, I mean, I've already mentioned it, but in Celtic religion, trees are incredibly, incredibly important. And Druids would literally live in trees to receive enlightenment to tell messages to people. So when he tells that, when he says, curse is one who is hung on a tree, he's, he's evoking, this is the only place he mentions it, by the way. Everywhere else when he talks about the crucifixion, he says, cross, cross, cross. But when he's talking to them, he throws that in there. Why? Because what the Druids were doing was wrong because it was worshiping the wrong God, but it pointed them toward Christ. He takes this weird pagan practice and he turns it. He will do this all through Galatians. And uh, it only works with Celts. It only works with people with their worldview, some of the arguments that he uses. It's really interesting to get into it. So where do distractions come from? Number one, misunderstanding the teaching of the apostle. Number two, influential and persuasive other teachers. And number three, our own history and worldview. We can be distracted very, very, very easily. And if there's one big point I want you to get out of this, it is we can be distracted from the simplicity of the grace of God very, very easily. Those silly Galatians, they were so secondary kind of Christians who got distracted. I would never get distracted like them. No. Happens to us all the time. And so Paul prefaces, he starts his argument with, let's get back to the simplicity of the gospel, the grace of Christ. And then let's build from there. Because you've been distracted. You've been drawn off. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we are all too aware that distractions happen in our lives. Help us to keep our focus and our hearts on you. Lord, the simplicity of our hope and faith placed in you. We pray this in Jesus' name.